I want to start this morning by kind of uh, what, what you may look at as kind of aggressive. Uh, usually, uh, this is the time in the message where I would kind of tell a funny story or kind of ease into the sermon a little bit, and then uh, all of a sudden you're into the message, you didn't even realize it because I was telling a, a story. But I just felt this morning that I wanted to dive right in by asking what you may think of as a little bit of an aggressive question. And I, I don't want you to answer this question out loud. You don't even have to write it down. You don't have to lift up your hand. No, in fact, nobody needs to know your answer. But I just want you to answer a question in your heart, and I want you to dig deep for the answer. And here's the question. The question is, why are you here today? Why are you in this room here today? Why are you here today? Why did you decide to get up, to get dressed, and to come to church this morning? Why did you decide that uh, you were actually going to be willing to miss a few minutes of the game to be in this worship service today? Why are you here? Now, many of you are looking at me and going, Pastor, that's easy. It's Sunday. Hello? This is what we do on Sundays. We go to church on Sundays. Then my question back is, but why? Why do you come to church? Why is this part of your tradition that you've made uh, here on a weekly basis? And I would imagine in a room like this that many of us are here because we understand that we're living in a broken world. How many of you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we're living in a broken world? All you got to do is get on Facebook or Instagram for five minutes and you're going to see that we really are living in a broken world. And so you understand we're living in a broken world, but not only are we living in a broken world, we as individuals are actually broken people, right? So a broken world and broken people. And so I think one of the things that we, reasons we could say that we come to church is because we think that this might be part of the solution of fixing a broken world and us as broken people. As we look into our lives, we go, there's parts, there's areas of my life that are broken. This relationship is broken. This, this financial thing is broken. There's a part of my body that needs a healing that's broken. There's a part of my behavior that's broken. And so when we come into a setting like this, we, we come in with the understanding that maybe this would be a route that I can fix some broken things in my life. And we can fix a broken world. And I feel like we, we kind of lean in on three different areas to try to fix our broken world. These parts of us that we go, are, we're, we're, we're displeasured with. We're not satisfied with where we are in certain areas where we're broken in our life. And so I want to lean in on those three areas that we think will be helpful. The first one is that you may be in this room to say, I'm here because I want to be a better version of myself. So we lean into ourselves. So here's the deal on this. You think that somewhere in the back of your mind, you've got this embodiment of the future you. And the future year you is smarter. The future you is more disciplined. The future year is better looking. It is uh, more intelligent. It is uh, it has more money. It is more successful than the current present you. And so you're here today to get to that better version of yourself. I'm going to fix myself. I want to make the self that I have a better version of myself. So I'm going to lean in. I'm going to come to church because I'm going to, I want God to make me a better version of me. And then, then there's a second reason that we come, and that is that we're leaning into others to fix our issues. We're leaning into to others. And typically what this looks like is I come to church because I like the community. I like the feeling it gives me. The people are friendly. The people are nice. But sometimes we go even more extreme in that, and we think to ourselves, I am actually leaning into the fact that I think that 
that other people are going to help fix me. In fact, I'm going to put the weight and the burden of other people in my life to fix what I have not yet been able to fix. It's the reason why some of you in the room have been to small group, but you're no longer in a small group. Because you went into that small group thinking to yourself, this is going to be my fix. These people are going to solve my problems. These people are going to solve my issues. The issue with that is that if you have that kind of mentality and you live leaning into others fixing your problems, you're putting a weight on others that they were never intended to carry for you, that they can't carry for you. So what happens is the first time that your small group doesn't do what you want them to do or what you think they should do, then you're like, that's it, I'm out. They forgot me. They left me out of the text message thread. They forgot to invite me to the event. The small group pastor didn't show up to, to see me when I was in the hospital. So I knew I, you can't trust people, you know, because you actually believe that other people were the answer to fix you. And then the third area that we lean into when it comes to church is this area of religion religion. Now, this one is interesting, and I think it's the most deceptive path of all three of those. Because what religion says is, I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to do all the right things, I'm going to say all the right things, and I'm going to be in all of the right places, because I believe that if I can lean into some external things, that what I can do is I can earn favor with God, I can get God on my team, and then he's going to owe me, and I'm going to be able to build my life on having God on my, I'm going to list God on my team by doing things that I think are going to please God, I'm going to tip the scales toward the favor of God on my life because I think that that will help me. And if God can get into my life, I want to make religion a part of my life because everybody needs a good little bit of religion, right? And so religion is going to help me get God on my team and so I can live a better life. So here's the issue. The issue is with religion is it's a very outside-in approach to God. It's a very externally leads to internally things to God. And here's the issue. We run to all three of these things. All of us, at one point or another, have been guilty of leaning in on all three of these, right? Leaning into, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to be better. So going to church is going to help me do that. Some of you say, I'm going to lean in on other people. They're going to help fix me. Some of you say, I'm going to lean in on trying to do the right things and say the right things and be in the right places. I'm going to lean in on, on religion. And we go to these things, and how many of you know eventually we come up dry, right? Eventually, these don't work. They come up empty. They, 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 we don't get fixed by doing this. And here in the passage that we have today, we've got an issue where Jesus is leaning in to what I'm talking about here. And up, up to this point in the book of Mark, here's what's kind of been happening. What's been happening is Jesus has great words that are followed by great works. He's been doing this amazing stuff. I'm talking about healings, miracles. People been, uh, their bodies been getting healed. Uh, they, they literally, the people that were demon-possessed are getting delivered and set free. Jesus is actually doing incredible stuff like, you know, a few uh, fish and some loaves of bread, and he's feeding 5,000 people. And, and not only that, he walks on water. The passage right after that talks about him walking on water. So he's doing all this amazing stuff. But these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they're not focused on all of that stuff. They want to talk to Jesus about hand washing. Okay? So here we have Jesus doing miracles like the dude's walking on water, and you want to talk about hand washing. And they're leaning in, and they're asking Jesus a very accusatory question. They're saying, Jesus, what's up with your dudes not washing their hands the way that they're supposed to? 
Now, real quick, just if you're a student or a child in the room, okay, this isn't saying that you don't have to wash your hands and be clean, okay? Okay, it's not that. So don't, don't look at your mom and dad when they say wash your hands before dinner and say, why are you so religious? Jesus told me I didn't have to wash my hands. You know, it's not that. But what Jesus is going into is he's leaning into, it's not just washing your hands for to be clean. They actually believed that there was this specific ceremonial way that they had to wash their hands where they had to cup them just a certain way and they had to do this whole ceremonial thing where that's how they would wash their hands. And if you didn't do it that way, you weren't pure and right before God. And this goes along with a whole bunch of other rules and regulations that these religious leaders had. I mean, actually, over 600 of them. A couple of them are mentioned in the passage, like the way you clean pots and the way you clean kettles and all of this different stuff. And what happened was it started in the Ten Commandments way back in the Old Testament. And what they did is they would just keep adding to those laws and those regulations. And they would keep adding and keep adding, and then they had all these traditions and all these rules and all these regulations and all these laws that, that they had to file, and they kept adding. And what they would do is they would, they would add and add and add, and now we've ended up with over 600 of them at this point that Jesus comes on the scene, and they've been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's actually called oral law. And they they wrote them down in a book called, I think it's called the Mishta, is what it's called, and they wrote them all down, and basically, the, the religious leaders of the time are saying, hey, uh, you're not following one of our laws. You're not following one of the traditions, and Jesus wants to address this, and, and here's the deal. We can look at this and go, I can't believe this is so ridiculous that we're even talking about hand washing. My goodness. You know, it's really easy to look at these kinds of passages and go, a bunch of messed up people, man. Jesus just needs to slap them across the head. But look at, look at me. How many of you know we have our own traditions, right? Don't we have our own rituals? Some of you maybe are in the room uh, and you're maybe old enough to remember a time when playing cards was evil. Okay? It was sinful. Or dancing. You know, you couldn't dance because don't use your body for anything other than Jesus, you know, only dance in church if you're going to dance, you know, or go into those movie houses. That's a bad thing. Or, uh, or here, here's another one, okay? Some of you are like, ah, yeah, I don't, I don't deal with any of that. Here's another one. If you miss communion in a Sunday morning worship service, you haven't really been able to be pure before God, okay? Or here's one. We've got to dress a certain way to go to church. Well, says who, Okay. Or here's another one. I'm about to step on a couple toes. I love you all. Just know this, okay? But here's one. We're going to have a religious holiday named Fat Tuesday, and then we're going to have it followed by a religious holiday named Ash Wednesday. And what we're going to do is we're going to put ash on everybody's head, and that is actually going to purify them as they go into the season of Lent. Well, Jesus is addressing the traditions. He's addressing all of those little laws and ceremonial things and religious things and all these traditions. And we, there's even a story I was, I was prepping this week. I read about a story uh, about a guy named John Calvin. It's actually, he was the guy that started the Presbyterian Church. And John Calvin uh, actually would wear a hat to church, and he would only remove his hat during prayer time. Well, for, for a couple hundred years, all the men thought, well, what we've got to do is we've all got to wear hats to church, and then we remove them only during prayer, because that's what you do to be right with God. You wear a hat to church, and then you remove it during prayer. 
Well, after they kind of started studying this about 200 years later, what they figured out is John Calvin, the reason that he wore a hat to church is because they had an open-air church. And so it was windy and drafty and cold in the church. Not only that, they had pigeons that would fly through their church. And he, didn't, he wanted to make sure that there was no pigeon droppings happening on top of his head. And so he wore a hat. And so they all just followed his lead. They didn't know why they were wearing a hat. Hundreds of years later, all the men are still wearing hats and removing them during prayer. They don't even know why they're doing it because that's what you do to be right before God. And we have these same things, these same things that happen. And Jesus is attacking this. And ultimately, here's what he's trying to do as we kind of lean into the text. He's, he's trying to let us know that the outer workings of tradition can, should never be above the inner workings of Jesus. And when tradition, when outward tradition is more important than inner workings of Jesus, you ha- actually have fake worship. It's actually not real. It's fake. It's far from God. It's far from the heart of God. When there's ritualistic things that you're doing just because of tradition, and those become more important than the, the inner workings of what Jesus is doing in your heart and in other people's hearts, that's actually fake worship. It's a farce. And Jesus is calling it out. He's saying, hey, y'all, this stuff that you're doing to pretend you're pure and that you're right before God, it ain't working. It's not real. It's not right. And he actually uses the word hypocrites. Hypocrites. Now, some of you maybe are not Jesus followers in the room. Maybe you're uh, just on the journey of being a Christ follower. You're not sure what that looks like in your life. And so you may be here, and you may. one of the reasons you may not be a Christ follower yet is you, you may go, well, you know what part of the reason is? There's all those hypocrites in church. To which I say, yeah, there are a lot. Welcome to the club with the rest of us. So you got a point there. Here's what the word hypocrite actually means. It actually means, in the original language, it means an actor on a stage. An actor on a stage. Now, some of you go, yeah, those hypocrites. Come on, y'all. Y'all have never acted in church, hello? Some of you did it this morning. You did it because you were arguing like cats and dogs all the way to church. You were fighting, man. You were quarreling with somebody, and then you got out of the car holding hands as a family, smiling. You skipped across the parking lot this morning. You came in, and there was a greeter at the door that said, hello, how art thou? And you said, oh, we are blessed, highly favored of the Lord. We will continue that discussion after church is over, okay? We all do this. We all have these times in our life where we're actors on a stage. It's not real. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's fake. It's not real worship. It's not actually what I've called you to do or what I want you to do. And he gives a solution that I want to dive into. Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. 
For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus is not arguing that that we're impure. He's not arguing that we're defiled. He's not arguing that we're wicked. What he's arguing with is where that comes from. See, wickedness and evil don't come from out there. They come from in here. They don't come from all of these different places and sources that, that are out there. And, and, and so, because what can happen is, as Christ followers, we can, we can get into this bunker mentality if we believe this. We can get into this, we just got to hold down the fort and be in the four walls of the church and not touch anything dirty and not touch anything impure. And, 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 and we've got to just, you know, hold our own. And we've got to elect officials that will help us hold our own. And we've got we've to get into this bunker mentality. But here's what I'm here today to tell you. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what's happening out there. You don't even need anything out there to be evil. You're evil right here in your heart. I know this is true. Do you know how I know this? I know this because if you give a a toddler a bag of candy and you put them on the floor, and then you have three or four other toddlers and you put them on the floor, here's what the toddler with the bag of candy is not saying. The toddler is not saying, here, I would like to share my candy with you. I want to prefer you above myself. I want to love my neighbor as my, you know what, it's okay. I don't even need any candy. I want to give it all away to you. That toddler's not saying that. What is that toddler saying? Mine. Did anybody teach the toddler to say mine? No. It happens because we are born with this in our hearts. You see it when children lie, okay? You go, man, how did they learn? That was actually a really good lie. How did they learn? Was there a class on lying that they took? Did they watch a movie about how to lie properly? No. They know how to lie because it's in their heart. Wickedness and evil and impurity are inside all of us. And Jesus is saying, it's not what's out there that makes us impure. It's what's in our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, let me say it like this. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And so you go, well, how do we fix this then? How do we fix our hearts? If our hearts are broken, if our hearts are impure, and and it's not just by doing all these external things, how do we fix it? And I want to give this illustration to you this morning. When we lived in, in our house before the one we live in now, one of the things that I loved to do to torture my children was to send them out to, to get the weeds out of the front of the house, this little garden area that we had. So they'd have a day off of school, and I'd say, oh, this is a wonderful day uh, to go ahead and weed the garden. So they would come in almost every time. A couple minutes later with, Dad, we're done. We did all the weeds. And I would I would go outside, and I would go, you're not done. Look at that weed and that weed and that weed and that weed. And that, that does, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. So they, I'd say, put your gloves back on and go out and weed the garden again. So they go back out, and they come back in and say, we're done. I'd believe them the second time. But the issue is that I'd go out there three, four days later, and the weeds were all coming back up stronger than they were before. 
And what you understand, if you know anything about gardening and weeding, is this. You understand that you can cut the tops off of it so it looks like there's no weed, but if you don't get to the root, that weed is just going to keep coming back up. And that's what happens with us. We try to fix ourselves. We try to do this and try to do that. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do, I'm going to lean into religion. I'm going to lean into this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull all these weeds out of my life. But your only power to pull the weeds out of your life is just to cut the tops off. You're actually not getting to the root. That's why the weeds are still there. That's why your heart is still the way it is. That's why you still think about people the way you think about them. That's why you still deal with the unforgiveness. That's why you still deal with the hatred. That's why in our hearts we're still selfish. All of those things because we try hard to pull those weeds out, but all we can do is just pick the top off of the weeds. So what do we do? Well, there's two extremes to this. The two extremes are, okay, my actions are right. In other words, you're going, I'm doing all the right things, and it's not working. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm reading my Bible this much time. I'm praying this much time. I'm going to church. I'm even in a small group. I'm doing, I'm, you know, I'm taking communion. I'm receiving. I'm doing all this stuff. My actions are right, but your actions can be right, and your heart can still be far from God. Your heart cannot be tender. It can still be hard. And you're doing the right things doesn't always mean that you are right with God. And then there's the other extreme, and that is this. I can't seem to act right. And this is for those of you that go, I'm trying to do the right things. I'm just not very good at it. Because let's be honest, some of you are not as good at the game as other people are. Some of us are good at the game. Others are like, I, I'm trying to get all, do all of it, but I just can't do it. I just can't seem to get it right. I, the, my, the harder I try, the wrong things I do is just not going well for me. Well, both of them actually are the same problem. They're both a heart issue. And your heart can be far from God even if you're doing all the right things. And your heart can be far from God if you feel like you can't do the right things. So then it becomes the question of how do we fix this? Well, I'm glad you're asking. I want you to write down these five things here this morning before we close as the band comes. Number one, your disciplines don't save you. You do them because you love God, not, but not because you're trying to get him to love you. Your disciplines don't save you. You do them because you're, you love God, but not because you're trying to get him to love you. Number two, your traditions can cloud your ability to see God right now. Your traditions can cloud your ability to see God right now. Number three, we all have hypocrisy in our hearts. Hypocrisy is the ability to look different on the outside than we really are on the inside. Number four, your heart is wicked. There is nothing you can do to fix it. Your heart is wicked. There is nothing you can do to fix it. Now, here's the good news. Number five, the only solution for our heart and for our hypocrisy is Jesus. The only solution for our heart and for our, for our hypocrisy is Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and I will give you a new what? Heart. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations so here's the issue the issue is the heart is the problem and the only way to fix 
The heart is to submit the heart to Jesus. So here's the only thing we have to do. We have to wake up every day and we have to submit our heart to Jesus. We have to wake up and say, my heart is not right. My heart thinks wrong. My heart feels wrong. My heart will lead me wrong. So God, I'm submitting my heart to you because I know that you can change my heart. And here's what happens. The day after day after day that we do this. And how do I know if I'm doing this versus how do I know if I'm not? Well, here's a good question for you. If you're doing this on a regular basis, you'll be able to name something as of recently that God has changed your heart on. Okay? You'll be able to name something. There's something happened recently that God is changing you on. Because here's what happens. As we submit our hearts to him, we become more like him. As we become more like him, he purifies our hearts, and our hearts actually are cleaner. They look more and more like him. But if we go through a long season where we stop submitting, where we stop saying, God, my heart is evil and it belongs to you, fix my heart. My heart is evil, it belongs to you, fix my heart. My heart is evil, but it, but it, but it belongs to you, fix my heart. Lord, my heart in and of myself is evil, but I'm, I'm giving it to you, I'm submitting it to you, fix my heart. As you do this on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, you wake up five years, 10 years, 15 years later, and what has happened is your heart is actually cleaner than it used to be. But if you look back and go, wow, I'm much better than I used to be. Oops, that's pride. Now I've got to start over. Okay, my heart is evil. but And so I'm submitting it to you. It belongs to you. Do you understand the pattern here? The only person that can fix our heart is Jesus. Your only solution is to continually submit your life, your actions, your attitude, your mind, your heart over to him and say, I can't do this. Fix my heart. It belongs to you. Change it.